Evening to everybody. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, well, that was two all-star groups that we've heard from. Both groups were outstanding. I got to confess, uh, this morning, when I heard Stan when he said, tonight, you know, we're going to have our students be singing in their group. And when the first group got up there, I thought, wow, they, they, they repeated a couple of grades, some of those. But I love this church. If they are considered still students, I want to be a part of this church. <laughs> so, great job. Great job. We're going to be, I'm going to let you go ahead and turn to it if you have your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. MVP. Tonight, as I said, MVP will be crowned. It's going to be one of those quarterbacks, you know which, what it is. But this is a whole new level of MVP we're going to talk about tonight. Um, when I first went to Somerville, we did a, a leadership training thing one Sunday, late one Sunday afternoon, and there was nothing else on the church calendar, and so it looked like a good time, and we planned it, and we had a, we had a mediocre turnout, and I thought, well, that's okay, I don't really know the folks here well enough, and you know, they had stuff going on maybe. And so we went ahead and started and, um, you know, turned to your Bibles and this and that. And so, you know, nowadays, a lot of them just went right to their phones, to the apps on their phones or whatever device was. And I just thought, I remember thinking several times, what an enthusiastic crowd because I was hearing grunts when I'd make a point or I'd, I'd look up and one of them would be elbowing the other one and showing him, you know, on his phone. And I'm thinking, wow, I was really encouraged. So we finished our, our training. And as soon as I prayed the last prayer and said, amen, the place erupted. And I felt even better until I realized, oh, until I realized they had, 80% of them probably, were not reading the scripture. They were watching the South Carolina Duke basketball game that South Carolina came back and won, you know, to go to the final forward, I think was that progression there. And that, that was all they were doing. So I say all that to say, don't go there tonight, all right? Don't go there. I won't be able to tell whether you're reading 1 Corinthians 2 or whether you're watching Tom Brady, but, but God knows. God will know, right? <laughs> So, I'm just grateful you're here. What a great, what a great turnout. Um, we are going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit the next, uh, three, count the night, next three nights. I, I've, I've, I've always been a Baptist. I, at some point, I chose to be a Baptist, you know, rather than born into a family. But I fear that we Baptists have been guilty in the past of being really, really, really almost standoffish toward the Holy Spirit. Got no problem with God and Jesus. Oh yeah, we love Jesus and all like that and we know a lot about. But the third part of the Trinity, there's almost been this either a fear or this um, hesitancy to lose control of our lives, and maybe even our churches, and for some, the Holy Spirit re represents that. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Baptocostal influence, because I really, uh, sometimes I can sketch things better than I can describe them. I think really when you boil down churches, 
we all tend to go, some of it's denominational and some of it's just the, the, the culture of your, your church. There's really only about three places that you migrate to. A lot of churches, just by nature, they're um, very liturgical. Where I, where I live now, there's a lot of Anglican influence, there's a lot of Catholic, there's a lot of high church. And you know it when you go into one of those churches, right? They're wearing robes, there's incense, and you, you know, a, a lot of formality. That speaks very deeply to a lot of people. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with tradition and things like that. We have, we have two ordinances, right? And we think they're very special, Lord's Supper and Baptism. They've got more than that. The problem is, if that's your whole, um, if, if that's your whole influence that the church is giving you, it's just a bunch of rituals and it doesn't mean much, right? There's got to be more to it. There's others that are over here and their leading edge is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? We happen to be in that as Baptists, right? The Presbyterians are, there's others. Uh, that's one reason I choose to be a Baptist is because uh, I, I need to be able to feel like I'm standing on the truth and, and all like that. You know, we don't renovate a bathroom without coming up with a scripture verse. We can go along with it to, to spend the money to do, right? Here, there's a problem here, though. If this is it, I, the extent of our knowledge about the Bible and just saying, you know, oh yeah, we know we're trying to stand on truth and everything. If that's all we got, it's cold, dead orthodoxy, right? Nobody's lives change. There's got to be more to it. This corner is all about the Spirit. And some of our charismatic brothers and all, that's, of course, more of the leading edge of what they do. It's, it's very passionate. It's a little bit more um, emotive and things like that. Here again, there's an inerrant danger here. Any extreme push too far is a weakness. Sometimes the weakness there is it's, it's more emotionalism than it is like sound reasoning through the scripture. And then it becomes, you know, Sunday was so great. Uh, you know, what are we going to do next Sunday to top that? And, and, there, and it can't, there can be a little bit of a, abuse of certain texts and all like that. We, we all, you know, wherever we end up more toward, we all have our, our inerrant dangers. Do we not need all three of them, though? And here's the cool thing about where you are at Washington Baptist Church. I really believe that for a Baptist church, you fall pretty much in the middle. There's got to be this deep reverence for the Word. You honor 200 years. There's, there are some traditions here. And there are some time honored. And, and you all... Uh, are standing on the shoulders of some people who came before and paid some prices and made some sacrifices and all. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great legacy. And then the ordinances we do and, and Sunday school, there's a lot of tradition. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. But there's got to be this infusion of the Holy Spirit. Don't you agree? Without the Spirit. Without the Spirit. Paul goes so far as to say... If you don't have the Spirit, you can't call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ. If you do not have the Spirit, Book of Romans, you do not have Jesus. 
If you have Jesus, oh, you got it. You got the Spirit. But you can still keep him under wraps. Okay? So that's where we, where we launch in. Let's pray right quick. Father, um, there is no life change without you. There is no direct communication that transforms us without your spirit. I am so grateful tonight that you're not only here with us, but the word says you're waiting to hear from us. You're waiting to intercede. And the spirit is already working in us, trying to woo us and pull us more into a knowledge of of you that will continue to revive us and renew us and change our lives. So we give you this time. Please do whatever you need to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we all are human to the point, I believe, that kind of inferred it this morning. We tend to believe what we want to believe, don't we? We will construct this, this is my philosophy, and then we'll try to find statistics, even facts, opinions, friends who agree with us, and, and, and use it all, and then, you know, at the end of the day, we'll hear the other side, but we still believe what we want to believe. How many people try to do the Christian life like that? This is what I believe the Holy Spirit is like. This is what I believe my Christian life ought to be like. Don't try to convince me otherwise. And how sad it is that so many people go their entire lives going to church and being good people and not breaking the law, but sadly they go to eternity never realizing what the fullness of the Christian life is all about. Because they've never really taken time and surrendered to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between being a Christian and being Spirit-filled. And so, uh, we'll just lay that out right now because uh, this morning we said nothing beats changed life, right? Oh, James, up top there. You got one more picture for me? Since we talked about nothing beats changed life and we talked about, you know, it's really transformation... And all, if you don't, that's all right. Just, just wave at me and I'll keep moving. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There's another picture of the same thing. That's transformed life there. That's, that's Stan 30 years ago, right? And now the new Stan. Like I said, you guys have been a transformative agent in Stan Candler's life. <laughs> That was at some kind of fair or something, and, and you know, you, you got to do sometimes what a pastor's got to do. You got in a dunk tank, didn't you? That's what that was, so uh, he was being a good sport there. So here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, a wrong question at you about Holy Spirit, and then a right question. I'll have to, again, confession time for Randy. I've spent too much of my life believing the first question, the wrong question. So the wrong question is, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit in my life? How do I get more of the Holy Spirit? The right question is, how does the Holy Spirit get more of me? Because, see, I have a choice there, right? And you do too. And when Randy goes away, as, as Paul said, uh, Galatians 6.14, I, I love Paul. He... 
he writes in one point, Galatians 6.14, he said, I'm going to do a little bragging here. But I'm only going to brag in Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the only thing I want to talk about. Because, then he gives the why. Why am I bragging about Christ? Because I have been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me. You see what he's saying? The only thing that really matters at the top of my list and stays at the top of my priority list is Jesus Christ. I'm going to let everything else, just the chips fall where they may. That is a man who has realized the right question is, how does the Holy Spirit get more of me? And you can live, actually, by that, by that tempo. So 1 Corinthians, I told you what was going on. It's a letter to a church, a struggling church. They still are very um, worldly in a lot of ways. There's a lot of immoralities in the church, and he's really getting after them. He says, you know, we try to have the Lord's Supper, and half of you get drunk off the juice, and the other half overeat. And, you know, he just goes through the whole litany there, and he's, and he's getting after them. But early on in verse uh, chapter 2, we see what's going on. So I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about what the Spirit does toward you and me. What the Spirit do, does toward you and me. So let me just read 10 through 16, and then we'll make some points. Verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is of God that we may understand what God has freely given us. 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. First thing the Spirit from this we, we learn he wants to do toward us is he wants to reveal God's thoughts. He wants to reveal the very thoughts of God. Look at verse 10. He searches all things. The Spirit searches all things. In the Greek, that word searches meant to diligently look and to examine really, really closely. <clears throat> I, I am uh, terrible about losing things. If it's not my keys, it's my phone, if it's not my phone, you know. Anybody else like that around here? Man, I can, lose, I can spend a third of my time looking for things. Have you noticed that when it's important and you're looking for it, oh man, you're looking really close, aren't you? You're like looking under things and you're seeing things you hadn't seen in a year. But you're not finding what you're looking for. You're diligently searching. Because you have to find it. You can't, you, can't, you can't go anywhere without your car keys. And that's the word that this is used of the Spirit searching the mind of God. And then he says, he reveals the deep things. The deep things of God. Y'all, those are the unknowable things. Those are the things above our pay grade. Those are the things fully divine. Only divinity 
can realize it from divinity. But aren't you glad that occasionally you get one of those revelations? And if you've been around for a while as a Christ follower, probably some of you could really tell some great stories about there is no way you can explain it other than God chose to reveal something to me that was going to happen or, or just the circumstances fell in that I didn't know, but then I knew on the backside of that what was going to happen. I mean, the, uh, we, we can't live just by that. But there are those special times when the Holy Spirit steps in. So that's, here's my question. Theology question. Is the, is the Holy Spirit sovereign? Now God's sovereign, right? Is the Holy Spirit sovereign? What do you think? Yes? No? It's okay to speak up. This isn't a quiz like you got to go home if you get it wrong or something. Anybody say yeah? You would be right. Because he's equal to God, right? Full part of the Trinity. If God's sovereign, he's sovereign. So that means the Holy Spirit knows everything that God knows once he does search, right? And he has permission. Jesus said he only tells us what the Father tells him to say. So if that be true, when you get one of those, it's the Holy Spirit just telling you what God is thinking. That's an incredible blessing. And incredible. But be careful. We don't want to slip back down in here or here and start to have an elitist, self-righteous attitude just because God spoke to us and there's something that we know. You following me? There is no place for that. That's called self-righteous. Kathy Keller wrote in a book, she said the national religion of the Western civilization, which is us, the national... National religion nowadays is self-righteousness. I think she's on to something, don't you? That doesn't mean... You know what it ought to do? Rather than being more proud and a little bit holier than thou and self-righteous about, oh, I have this... I got this this unction or this leading from the Holy Spirit that, that turned out to be exactly from God. We ought to be more humbled... It ought to drive us to our knees because the more clearly you see God, the more clearly you tend to see yourself, right? At least that's the case with me. And every time something special like that happens, it it tends to make me just start repenting of who I am. And that's a good test for your development and your renewal at the end of this week And other people, not that we're judging other people, but people, how many times has somebody come to you and said, God told me to tell you this? Probably a lot, right? Or God showed me, and you're like, well, I don't know, because, you know, it's not in the Bible anywhere. A good judge of that, of yours and other people, is simply this. Is the framework a little bit self-righteous and elitist or prideful Or is it the most humble you have seen that person? Or is it the most humble you have been in quite a while? There's your answer, I think. And so praise the Lord that we have these revelations occasionally from God. Some of you could tell those great stories, I believe. I, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been, as a pastor, I've had these, these times where you see somebody 
and they say, you know, I almost called you the other morning. How's that? Um, God got me up in the middle of the night. And I couldn't sleep. And I just went down and started praying. And I just feel like that there's something going on in this part of our church. And I knew it was true. And there's no way she should have known that. She could not have known that on this earth. She only could have known that as a revelation from God. You ever had those? I was going through a, a tough decision one time early in my ministry and, you know, you, you can't please everybody and there's a few people that were not really on board and I was um, younger and struggling with it. I, I was letting it bother me more than it should and just out of the blue one morning, my best friend in high school that I hadn't seen in about eight years, he calls. Hey, how you doing? Doing small talk for a minute. And he said, are you all right? And I lied, of course. I said, yeah, I'm good. And he said, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Because this morning I'm reading my Bible a little bit and, and I could not get you off my mind. I was afraid something was wrong. And I said, well, now that you mention it. Now, you can't tell me that God did not, through the Holy Spirit, reveal something. And I know you've got, you've got a million stories like that. I need a little audience, you know, there's spectator sport going on tonight at the game. This is not spectator. This is audience participation, and, and Jan's done a great job. You did a great job going right, going to that. I need somebody, I, well, I'd love all of you to look up Ephesians 1.17. Ephesians 1.17. And I would like to have somebody other than me read Ephesians 1.17. You can just stand up where you are. And speak up to where people can hear you. And let it fly. Ephesians 1.17, I know. Everybody's looking at their shoes. You know, I'm comfortable with silence. Oh! Is that Ephesians 117? Is that right? Oh, good. No, I was thinking I had blown it for a minute. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, did you catch that? Same writer, Paul, writing to another church, I'm praying for you. What's he praying? That your gout will get better. And all those are important. You know, health issues, those are important. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation may be yours. Spirit, capital S, it should be in your translation. Isn't that incredible? That's not a pie in the sky thing. He's actually saying, y'all, it's okay to ask for it. It's okay to ask for those special moments from God. Because the right question is, how does the Holy Spirit get more of me? So let's, let's move on. There's a second thing he wants to do toward us, and that's intercede for us. So for that, turn over to your left to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Some, it's going to be a familiar verse to some of you. Romans 8 verse 26. One of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 26. 
Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans and words uh, that cannot be expressed. Anybody ever been there where you just don't, honestly, I don't know how to pray for this. I don't know how to pray for him. I don't know how to pray uh, for her. I looked up in the Greek the word for intercedes because it's not used that much in the New Testament. And it meant, um, it meant actually literally compound word to bend over and examine really close. The Spirit of God is in part here to help us get our prayers across and he comes in and he bends down low on our level and examines our heart and examines what's going on and he takes that to the Father. Isn't that incredible? Years ago, um, when I was over at Simpsonville, I decided to um, surprise my wife. I should, I should do that more, but... Um, Friday afternoon, when she got home early, I said, make sure you come straight home, because she was teaching school at that time, and I said, come straight home, got a surprise for you, and uh, she loved to go to, some of y'all have been to a Flat Rock, North Carolina, to the Playhouse up there, when they're having those plays up there, she loved those, she loved that play, and they'd, I looked and picked one out, had ordered tickets, and they reserved them, we'll call we left, the house. we left Simpsonville in plenty of time. And I'm thinking, golly, it's a beautiful day. We can just ride, take our time and get up there. We'll still be early because I had a tendency. I come sliding in, you know, on two wheels at the right, right on time. And she was tired of that. And so we're going to take our time. No stress. And so we get about two exits from where you go to Flat Rock. And I said... You know, Sherry, good night. We're, we're an hour and 15 minutes early. Let's just, let's just get off here and come in the back way. I know there's a way we can probably hit a road and go that way. And we round, wound through. I'd never been that place. Mountain, beautiful mountain farmlands, just stuff. <clears throat> yeah, I kept waiting on the road, the north, northbound road. It, it, there wasn't one. And oh, that's all right. We'll be all right. We'll get there eventually, you know. Time starts getting away, and you know what's about to happen. All of a sudden, I'm lost. And this is before, before the, you know, GPS on phones, and back, you know, probably wouldn't have picked up there anyway. She's looking at me like, don't you make us late to this after leaving. And so I can feel a little sweat, you know, coming down my... And so, fine, and, and so finally, she says... Ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody. Well, there's nobody up there to ask. And finally, we go around this, this curve, and there's this elderly gentleman, pair of bib overalls on. And he's just kind of walking his backs to it. He's shuffling along. And I thought, this sure is odd. It's, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and he's walking by himself on this road. So we pull up, and, and he's on Sherry's side. And I, you know, he, he hit the... The, the window and it comes down and I said excuse me sir can you tell me can I go this way and and run into get to flat rock and he leans down that's what reminded me he bent over and he got really close he put his arms on the window ledge like this stuck his head in the window hadn't shaved in a while 
he had a little drizzle of tobacco juice coming down, <laughs> coming down the chin there. Gave us a big old grin. He had about three or four teeth left. He said, there is no way you're going to get there that way. <laughs> and I said, oh no, what do I need to do? And he said, well, you go back that way. When you see that, that road, you take a left. You go to that other, you get take a right. That will get you there. And it was the opposite of where I thought we should go. And I said, thank you very much. Well, Sherry, my wife has the biggest heart for people, especially senior adults. And she's already worried about this gentleman. She said, uh, sir, can we help you? And the whole time, he's just looking at her grinning. And he's about this far from her, you know. He's just grinning, and he says, no, I'm good. And she said, can we take you anywhere? Can we? He said, no. And she said, well, sir, I've got to ask you, what are you out here for? You're all by yourself. And he looked at her, and he said, you really want to know? Yeah, I do, sir. He said, I'm looking for women. <laughs> So Sherry hits that button and <laughs> and I remember I remember thinking when we got turned around and headed back, you know what? I'd have probably had a lot more fun sitting on the front porch with him than going to the play, actually. But the Holy Spirit intercedes and he gets into our lives, because he's already living in us, to the point that if you listen. If you have a surrendered heart, that means you're, you are maybe unconsciously turning over this message to the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God takes your prayer to the throne room of God, and as he's approaching the Father, somebody gets up and intercepts him, and who is that? Jesus himself. You have a prayer partner inside of you. You also have a prayer partner who is residing in heaven waiting to hear from you. Those two have a conversation about you and your requests and your prayers. And then they turn in union and they go to the Father and they say, this is the request. This is what needs to happen. Well, guess what's going to happen to your prayer? It's going to be exactly like God's will says it should be. And you started out not even knowing how to pray about something. That's, I don't know, I don't know what is more powerful and amazing than to say that. I, I have to, it makes my eyes water even to this day when I think about that in so many cases, in so many ways. So can we not be really, really grateful that we have some prayer partner help. And it's like he already knows the mind of God. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of, I know, um, I, I think, again, we ought to put that to legs right now. Aristotle said hundreds of years ago, be nice to everybody. Why? Because everybody is carrying a great weight. So could you just do, do me a favor um, could y'all stand and get somebody to pray with? And you can kind of spread out if you need to, if you don't want to be right on it. It can be your spouse. It can be, it can be a perfect stranger. I don't care. Find somebody 
to pray with. Don't spend all your time talking to each other, but just ask each other one simple question. How can I pray for you right now? And everybody's got that number one thing probably on top of your list, whether it's a prodigal child or whether it's a health issue or whether it's salvation for somebody. But just be honest. Oh, you can pray for me doing this and then vice versa, okay? And uh, uh, Mr. Sims that was playing the piano, is he, is he still? Would you? Okay, okay, Don. Would you do me a big favor? Would you kind of just... Um, once we get started, would you start playing? So everybody, if you will, will you stand? Hey, what can I pray for you? And then vice versa, and just go to it. And when the music, when the music stops, that's your cue to bring it in to, for a landing, okay? Lord, I thank you for hearing our prayers. I think the sound of so many voices is probably uh, uh, music to the ears of those in heaven and 
and, and brought as a, a sweet set smelling incense to you. And I also believe these prayers have rattled the gates of hell. And so we're just grateful for that awesome privilege. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all very much. All right. Uh, there's, there's a third thing real quickly. Holy Spirit has come to teach us. We're all supposed to be lifelong learners, right? Nobody's got it all figured out. John 14, 26. John 14, 26 says, He has come to teach you all things and to remind you of everything I, Jesus, have said to you. Sometimes the information is new and sometimes, especially if you've been around a while, it's a reminder because I need reminders, right? How many of you men are married? You get plenty of reminders, don't you? And yep, and Lord knows we need them. And the Holy Spirit has to remind us sometimes too. You knew it, you just walked away from it, you've forgotten it, you've ignored it, you need to come back to that truth too. As well as the, as well as the new stuff. We should always be open to that. I hear people all the time, and I have to, I have to uh, empathize with them when they say, you know what, I've tried so hard. I, I try to memorize scripture, but I'm just not good at that. I don't memorize it well. I don't either. I struggle for some reason m memorizing uh, scripture verbatim. But have you noticed, I, I know I have, that sometimes, although you can't quote it word for word when you have something in you and the situation arises how that will come to your brain and maybe you can't go chapter and verse but you can say oh I know what the Bible says I know what the Bible says we I, I Stan I got talked into back uh, in the fall our uh, creative arts pastor started this they called it Facebook live ask Randy and it was live where you just went on and it's me and him and people just start firing questions. I was scared to death. Don't let them talk you into doing that here. <laughs> it's a humbling experience because you don't know what's coming, you know. But what, what, that made me think of that because I don't know how many times question pops up, it's read to me, and in that moment, uh, some may verse, some verse I hadn't, you know, that I had forgotten a long time ago, it kind of bubbles up to the surface. And it's like, oh yeah, I know in the New Testament it says, and it would apply to it. And you have that same thing. Guess who you thank for that? The Holy Spirit. And if he's got more of you, that type of thing happens a lot more. The fourth thing Real quickly, he's come to comfort us, comfort us. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask Father, and he'll give you another or an identical counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. He will be in you. Now, I'm not going to talk any more much about that because tomorrow night, we're going to talk about from John, the counselor in all of you. You know, it's like I hear people say, well, you know, the engineer in me says this. The teacher, the school teacher in me believes this. There is a counselor in you that's not even you, and he is the Holy Spirit. 
And we'll talk about why that's such a good thing when it comes to revival tomorrow night. But for now, just know this. We're supposed to be open and surrendered enough to where that counselor, that comforter, which same word, is able to come in and not only minister to us, but to get more of us. We have got to be open enough to say, I'm here. It's not about me anymore. I was bought with a price. I gave you my life. And now you have mineral rights to my life. Do what you need to do in me. The Holy Spirit is the leading edge of what happens next. So what's it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2 verse 4, the word that's used in the Greek meant um, filling, of course. But it actually, when they used it, it meant not just full, it meant overflowing. You've been around people, some of you are those people where you spend five minutes with them and you start to realize, oh, there's something coming out of her that's good. There's something coming through the pores of his skin that looks a little bit, feels a little bit like God to me. That's the feeling, the overflow of the Holy Spirit. And that's what produces fruit. And what we got reminded of this morning that y'all did a great job of celebrating, and I know you'll continue to do that, is one of your brothers loved somebody enough to bring him to church and he found Christ. That is fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, how how does the Holy Spirit get more of me? We're supposed to be filled. Are you ready if you've not ever done that? Are you ready, like Sammy did this morning, to simply say, it's time to give up my life, to give my life away to you, God, because you'll do a better job running it than I will. I'm ready to surrender. Are you ready to somewhat come back to him because you've gotten, didn't realize it, lost first love maybe, gotten stale, gotten a little bit, um, a little bit shifted into neutral. And the Holy Spirit has, through the course of the day, reminded you of how much he loves you. Conviction is a good thing, y'all, because conviction is the reminder of how much he loves us, because he's willing to correct us and to change our course. Which one applies to you? I happen to have this theory that says when it costs you a little bit more or if it's a little bit more sacrificial, the Holy Spirit tends to honor that. Churches, and you're one of them, churches that opened up pretty quickly after the COVID shutdown and all, I see, around me at least, I see doing really well. I don't think that's accidental. I happen to believe when a full house of people hungry for God show up on Super Bowl night, The Holy Spirit rewards that. Not because we're such great sacrificial people, but because he loves us. And he is a comforting, encouraging God. And I happen to believe that when a a church body full of individuals are simply to the point that you're willing to be open in your spirit, open to what the Holy Spirit has for you, he always produces fruit and he uses you to do it.
And y'all, you know what, as a pastor, that's what, that's what makes my eyes water. It's watching people in my church do things like that under the power of the Holy Spirit that affects other lives. That is what gets me out of bed in the mornings re- ready to go. Can I tell you, as we close down, can I tell you one quick story about that? When I uh, was in seminary um, out in Fort Worth, uh, I started pastoring this little church out in the uh, West Texas there, two, two hours away, and um, they basically just relied on a seminary pastor, you know, because they were, it's just a tiny little church, tiny little community. All of them were cattle ranchers or wheat farmers. And nobody ever moved into that because there were no jobs out there if you didn't already have a ranch. So everybody knew each other and nobody ever moved. Well, one day, about six months into my being there, a, a new family moved into the area. And they fixed up an old place that had been boarded up and everything. They inherited it, family or something. And it was a family of five. They had three kids and all. And boy, everybody at church, next time, have you met the strangers? Have you met the strangers? No, I hadn't met strangers. And I'm like, why don't one of you go out in your car and introduce yourself to them instead of talk about them? But anyway, um, somebody did meet them and they said, hey, you ought to. So I went out and met them. And long story short, they actually started attending our church. And here's the cool thing. Nine-year-old son, he came to know Christ pretty soon. They hadn't really been in church much. The dad, when that happened, the Holy Spirit jumped onto him again. He had been saved earlier, had gotten completely away from it, and he rededicated his life. So one Sunday, I'm baptizing his son and two or three others, and, and, and Ronnie, Ronnie Sandlin, I'll just go ahead and use his name, Ronnie Sandlin was the dad. I've never seen a smile on a guy's face so big that day in all my life, and it was a great celebration for church. After he rededicates his life, though, he, he came to me a couple of times and he said, what can I do? There's nothing I see that really, I'm not a teacher, I'm not good at praying in public, I, you know, I'm not a spiritual giant and no, all. I'm a truck driver. I stay on the road Monday to Friday, I come home on Friday night, I drive a truck, that's my talent. What's God going to do with that? And we talked about that, perhaps just hang on, be patient, God will, God, God's going to use you, you know. Another family had started coming from down on the river bottom, and they were so poor. They lived in a trailer that was just falling in around them. The, the, the dad was an alcoholic and not there much. The poor old mom's trying to get four kids when she could, old beater, pickup truck. But they lived down on the bottom, of the, and they had to go up a hill to get to the main road. And it was almost a mile of dirt road. And when it rained, that whole thing would just wash out, and you, they couldn't get anywhere. And so when it rained on Sundays, we knew they weren't going to come. So one Sunday morning, I wake up at four in the morning and it is pouring. That's always bad news for a pastor, a rainy Sunday, you know? And so I said, oh man, we're not going to see those people, not going to see the, they were the Lewises, not going to see the Lewises, they can't get out. So anyway, I go to church and we have church and sure enough, attendance down or something, you know, I think we were from 40 down to 28 <laughs> or something that Sunday. And I, when I get up to speak, I look out. There are the Lewises on the third row. All of them. And I'm thinking, how in the world did they get out of that mud pit down there? And so I go ahead and finish, give the invitation, and guess what? Her oldest son comes down and says, Rand, uh, 
Pastor Randy, I need Jesus in my life. He gives his life to Jesus right there on the spot. Oh, my goodness. And we're up, mama's crying, and that church just loved on them and engulfed them and all. I'm still thinking, how did they get here? Some of you probably figured it out by now. I go out to stand like you do at the door and shake hands on the way out. By now, the sun's broken through and everything. I'm looking out in the parking lot. You know, I don't see their truck anywhere. But I see this white F-250 dually pickup and it's always in immaculate condition. That thing was completely covered in mud. Guess whose truck? Ronnie Sandlin. And I turned to go find him and literally ran right into him. And he had this big grin on his face. And I said, you went and got them. (laughs) And this is what still gets me. He said, I found out where they lived. And I woke up this morning. And the first people on my mind was them. And, And Randy, I couldn't live with that. I could not have been at church in peace knowing they're down there not in church. And I went and got them. And he said, I got to tell you, even in that rig I got, we were in the ditch, we were out of the ditch, we were sideways, we were backing up and getting a run, we were sliding all over the place. He said, I've never had so much fun in all my life. (laughs) But when that little boy got baptized, Ronnie Sandlin Ronnie Sandlin was as big a part of that as anybody in that whole church. And the Holy Spirit decided on that day, I'm going to do something that everybody's going to remember. And he picks the most, in some ways, the most unlikely guy who was open to the Holy Spirit. And he woke him up and he said, you better get an early start. Cause you're... And Ronnie Sandlin went down in that hole And he got that family out. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why don't you stand? Let me pray for you. Um, I tell you what, why don't I turn it over to you, Stan? You're the pastor of this fine church, so why don't you close it as you see fit? All right. Well, yeah, I want you to stand. Uh, Diane, would you come over here and just... uh... You play like the song we were singing this morning, Just As I Am, out of the hymn book. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes in the spirit of prayer?